Welcome to Short Course, episode 104, for June 2nd, 2023. I'm your host, Ben Barry. This week, we're going to pick up where we left off last week with the second half of what I recorded last week, talking about lessons learned from the monthly outlaw match that I help run. Uh, before we dive into that, just a few administrative notes. First off, my wife, Stephanie Barry, North Carolina section coordinator, is due with our second child the day after this episode airs. So I would expect I'll probably miss a week or two of podcasts. Who knows? I might have time and stuff to talk about, but don't be surprised if you don't hear from me for a few weeks. That said, the election does start June 15th, so about two weeks after this episode posts. I have put together a landing page on my website, barryshooting.com slash area six, all lowercase, all one word. And it has a link to my candidate bio, all of the interviews that I've done on various podcasts, which I think is six. I think the seventh one will be coming out sometime close to the election. Uh, link to all those interviews and, uh, like I said, my candidate bio and just my general election information is all there. So that's kind of the one-stop shop if someone is curious about me, what I think, my candidacy. That's that's the the place to get all the information. So. I would appreciate it if you would let people know if you're in area six, obviously talk to folks, let them know, say, Hey, have you looked, have you thought about who you're voting for area six? And if you feel comfortable, share some information, maybe point them to a particular podcast. Uh, all the episodes of short course that I've done since last summer are available. They're up on YouTube. There's a YouTube playlist with them all in order. So if you want a place to get started or to be able to send someone a link, that's probably the easiest way to to point them to a, a particular episode. But yeah, the, the election starts June 15th. It'll run through the middle of July. At that point, we will hear who won. If no one of the three candidates got more than 50% of the vote, the top two vote getters will go to a runoff. So if you don't know who to vote for and you're worried someone won't make the runoff, feel free to vote for whoever you want. If they don't make it to the runoff, you'll get to vote for someone else in the runoff. So no worries there. It'll just be a straight, you know, three in the initial election, two in the runoff. So vote your conscience on that one. Other than that, that is all I've got. It's been a pleasure talking to all of y'all and running this campaign. And I'm sure you'll be hearing more from me as the election goes on and as the results come out. Uh, but obviously, you, you probably won't be hearing from me for a little bit just because big life changes but uh, I hope everything goes well. I hope everything is well with you. And I hope to talk to you again soon. On with the show. The next lesson that I wrote down, and this is actually a fairly recent one, I think maybe six months ago or so, we, we started talking about getting some of these Throom, so T-H-R-O-O-M, that's the name of the company. They make these little rubber plates, knockdown plates that you that you can add to a stage and you can use them indoors. And the idea is the bullet passes through the rubber, but it self seals behind it. But it's not the, it's not the goofy kind of self sealing targets that you just like put on the ground and shoot. And then they jump around. No, this is actually on a, on a hinged base and you screw the base. Our, our current setup is we have them screwed into some four by four posts, which bring them up to about, about a four foot height, which is nice because we can have them. They don't have to be right up against the berm. They can be five or six yards in front of the berm and so be a little bit that gives it just gives you more options in terms of where you plant it in the stage it doesn't have to be all the way against the berm but yeah it's it it has a little of whatever this rubber self-sealing rubber base that you screw to whatever you want it to attach to and then the plate is a separate 
piece that kind of hinges in the holes in the base. And so when you shoot it, the bullet passes through the plate, but it imparts enough energy that it that it knocks it down. And yeah, this range at this range, even though it's a, an indoor range, steel was a, a complete no go. It just the if nothing else, the spall coming off of it. They, they have a bunch of the the ceiling and the walls all have a bunch of uh, acoustic dampening material. And obviously, if that stuff started picking up steel, that 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 was a no go. But yeah, these these knockdown plastic targets have been awesome. And again, when I say plastic, I mean it really is a, a rubbery kind of plastic that absorbs the, the the shot. So again, we've had them for six months or so. They've definitely, I mean, they've taken six times thirty impacts. So you know, some of them have over two hundred rounds on them, and they're still holding up fairly well. I'd I'd estimate probably at least five hundred rounds per uh, before they start wearing out. But they're fifty bucks each, so they're definitely not you know, they, they and they won't last forever. So it definitely is a, a an ongoing cost. But in terms of just being able to add that little bit of of challenge to an indoor match where you're going from even open paper to partial paper to an eight inch plate has has just been completely awesome. I, I love these things. I will gladly pay for them out of my own pocket just because the the level of challenge and not just challenge, but variety, the way you can mix them in with other targets and, and just make the stages more interesting is absolutely worth it. So. If that's something, if you're involved with an indoor match and you can build something like that, like I said, just it's each one of these, it's 50 bucks. You put it on, uh, we've got them nail, uh, screwed to four by fours. And then we built a little target stand, a little H target stand that the four by four sits in. Whenever we get around to sort of rebuilding them or redesigning them, I would want to add a little bit of cant to the target stand just so it leans forward a little bit. We have had a, a few issues where people shooting low either into the base or into the target stand is enough to sort of rock the whole thing back. And the the target will just fall over from that. So they definitely are on the, are on the sensitive side. Um, I, I thought about maybe three D printing a little wedge base just to go between the four by four and and their base just to give it a little forward tilt. I haven't really done anything with it yet, but I mean the the shooter at least has to shoot at it. If they shoot low, sometimes it'll knock it down. This is an outlaw match. I'm not super concerned about that, but it's definitely something that. As as time goes on, I, I want to tinker with. But in terms of adding interesting variety to the stages, and even just things like on on some of these stages where you know it's shoot some targets, reload, shoot some other targets, being able to say, you know, on the first pass through, you don't shoot the plate and you only shoot the plate after the reload. It just it's enough to mess with people's heads because they're so used to just transitioning and shooting all the targets, reloading, and then shooting all the targets. And so saying, no, no, I have to hold this target until after the reload. It's just that little bit of getting people outside of totally subconscious shooting, just shooting everything they see that adds a lot of interesting variety to the stages, which, which I really appreciate in terms of our, our range setup. So we built just standard eight foot walls out of two by twos with snow fence on them. So they're, they're six feet tall, they're eight feet wide. And then basically we use the cutoffs from the, the, the six foot vertical pieces to, to make some stabilizing braces. They work well. The wood I think is, is quite reasonably light. Um, I, I built one wall that has a port in the middle. I built a couple of half walls and it, it would always be nice to have more, but it's definitely compared to the PVC walls that we have up at Sir Walter gun club, which as soon as you shoot one, it just, it just explodes these wood walls. They, they can take quite a few shots. And at when the time comes that one of the walls gets so shut up, I can just unscrew that one side piece, replace it with another six footer and it's, it's good to go. So, um, yeah, I, I would do that again. We use the system where our walls are anchored to the floor. We have some concrete buckets 
that have some two inch PVC in them. So we have three pieces of PVC in each bucket in a little triangle so that we can have, you know, angles and potentially have, you know, three walls coming into a single bucket, which we only do rarely, but it's nice when you're building them just to put three in each one, just so you have that option. We did, we, when we were making them, we used one, I guess, 50 pound, 40 pound, whatever a standard bag of concrete is. We did one bag for every three barrels, which is probably a bit much if we were to make another batch of barrels, which I'm sure we'll do one of these days. I would, I would try going with one bag for every four. That's probably still enough. And I, I think the key with the, the five gallon buckets is, is cutting the PVC long enough that it'll hold the walls, but short enough that you can stack the buckets decently. Um, cause you know, they're heavy, but when you stack them up in a, in a wall, they actually don't end up taking up that much more space. So they, they've turned out to be pretty space efficient. They don't move around a ton. I am experimenting with a, a 3d printed wall stand that uses some half inch PVC as the, basically as the, the legs. And then it, you know, basically accepts the, the two by two in the top. Uh, they're, they're working. I've printed a couple for a couple uh, matches and they've ended up breaking. So I need to reinforce them. So I'm working on the design, but you know, that'll be nice for stuff that isn't next to the shooting area. But the main thing that I really wanted for, especially walls where they're going to be a part of the boundary of the shooting area is, is not having things that stick in, in the shooter's way where they're likely to be a trip hazard, which these 3d printed stands definitely are. So I'm only using those for when I want walls downrange or away from the shooting area. But for that purpose, they're lightweight and compact and cheap. I just got to get a design that's a little more, little more durable. But uh, I think this match was only the second or third month that that I'd prototyped them, so still working on that. But but definitely promising signs there. But yeah, the the whole system of concrete buckets, wood walls, totally happy with that. I, I can't really see anything else that, that we would do. We do use one by two sticks taped down with Gorilla Tape, which works great. Um, I've seen indoor matches where the fault lines are taped. And to me, that is, that's just a no-go. A, it's almost impossible to administer because as an RO, you can't really tell when someone's over the line versus their foot is just on the line. As a shooter, you're not really sure when you're on the line versus over the line. And so, yeah, just just have a bunch of one-by-twos, just tape them down at the end of the night, pull them up, pull the tape off, and, and storm away. That's That's definitely, I've been very happy with that. And if there's one thing that we are flush with at this match, it, it's blue barrels, which we do have... 19 of compared to having six walls six eight foot walls one of which has a port in the middle of it and two four foot walls so i you know every match i'm i'm economizing trying to figure out exactly where where i can spend this this meeker props budget but yeah 19 blue barrels definitely helps in terms of you know putting a target somewhere stack of barrels to to block the view from from somewhere else and uh yeah we were those were those were there from previous matches at this range that 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 definitely has been a big help and you know I don't know that we could get too many more of those just because they don't store particularly efficiently. You know, obviously if we were to double the number of walls that we had, it wouldn't take up that much more space because the walls definitely pack away pretty efficiently. So, uh, yeah, I think it, as this match continues, I think hopefully we can build more walls and have a place to store them, but I don't really see getting many more blue barrels just because they, they are so bulky to store. Now in terms of USPSA. So first of all, I, I this match has been, a great experience. The number of people who want to come out. I mean, we have filled up 30 slots. The first match I think filled up in an hour. Basically since then we fill up in 10 minutes, maybe. I mean, people know they have to be sitting at their computer to, to register when registration opens or they're, they're not going to get to shoot, which is my, my biggest complaint about this match is I wish I could figure out how we could get more shooters in, 
you know, we could add a third bay and go to six stages, but still only have three squads. But then, you know, the, the, the cycle time, we'd basically be adding, we'd go from starting at 6.30, finishing around 9. We'd basically be adding another hour and a half to the match, which is not really sustainable. Or I don't know, maybe it is. Maybe people would be willing to be out shooting until 10 p.m. on a on a on a weeknight if it meant they got six stages, which, you know, that would be one way to, to get us from 30 to 45 shooters. But yeah, something something to look at. Um, you know, the the range has been happy with the turnout. It, it so far, you know, logistically just keeping it at, at 30 people per match has, has worked out well. But again, I'm totally humbled with with the turnout. People people really like it. My sense is we could probably run this match every Monday night and probably fill up at least 25, maybe 30 slots, especially if if the word got out about it. So to me, if you were looking, you know, if you were USPSA headquarters and you were trying to grow the sport, indoor matches, a weeknight four-stage match like this would be the place to do it because it's a much lower commitment. Typically, it's going to be, you know, somewhere that's a short drive for folks coming, you know, even even driving 30 minutes you can get pretty much anywhere in the raleigh durham metro to this range you know which is close to the airport you can get to us in 30 minutes or even something like sir walter is is going to be 30 minutes from the north side of raleigh and so it's something where the, the time commitment to drive there is pretty low it's a weeknight you're not having to take a saturday or a sunday to go try and shoot your first match to me if you were you know legitimately trying to grow the sport and actually make it as big as possible not just replace all the people who aren't renewing their memberships if you were actually trying to grow the sport by five or ten thousand new shooters that actually maintain a membership so that the, the you know the actual cumulative active membership of USPSA was something like fifty thousand people if you were trying to do that the, the place to do it would be getting ranges like Triangle Shooting Academy that have these honestly frankly great facilities I mean the, the lighting is better when we're shooting downrange than when you're in the actual bowling alley lane all the way at the, the top of the range which is perplexing to me but whatever that's that's how they run it you know this is a a great facility for for what we're doing and we're one of the few activities that actually does it that actually goes down range of of their common firing line and so you know using ranges like this to give people an introductory experience showing up shoot their first match you know it's 20 bucks instead of 25 or 30 which I, i think most of the outdoor matches should be charging more because six seven eight stages there's a lot of work that goes into that it's a shorter time commitment. Again, it's easier to get a weeknight to go shoot one of these matches versus taking a, a Saturday or Sunday, you know, getting up at 8 a.m. to be there at 9 to shoot at 10 until 3 or 4 in the afternoon. Now, you know, not all outdoor matches are like that, but but I think there, there's there's a lot to, to like about this model. And I think the fact that it, it really does feel like USPSA is much more focused on big outdoor three-sided bay matches you know really focusing on taking away the the tools from level one matches like being able to specify things like not not being able to run outside the shooting area and and that sort of thing to me that's going in the wrong direction enabling clubs like this to run uspsa matches and giving them all the tools i think i think is the way the sport should go because it's just it's so much easier to get into in terms of actually not just shooting your first match but starting to to build for the first maybe six months or a year that you shoot the sport maybe it's a a year until you shoot your first outdoor match but by then you've had plenty of experience you've had a chance to go to a match upgrade your gear a little bit shoot a match again with the changes shoot a match again with those changes you know once a month type thing as you're as you're getting into it but anyway the 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 actual scoring of this match being time plus i like it if we had to go to a, a hit factor type scoring i would not 
that wouldn't bother me particularly. I think a lot of folks would, they wouldn't necessarily understand it, but I don't think that would actually be that much of a barrier to new shooters. I think to some degree, when people shoot their first USPSA match and they're told, oh, you had a, you know, 7.5 hit factor. And they're like, well, what does that mean? And it's kind of, I think it would be nice if we did a little bit of a better job explaining, well, basically that means shooting minor, uh, a Charlie is worth a quarter of a second. And at a four hit factor, it's worth a half a second, you know, that kind of thing. And just kind of give people a, a, a shorthand for understanding hit factors, how how points translate into time at that sort of high level. And then if they want to go deeper, then they can. But yeah, to me, the, that's that when people shoot their first match, that's what I try and translate things to is, hey, you know, if you're shooting a four hit factor stage, and you're shooting minor, a Charlie is worth half a second. If you're shooting a six hit factor, it's worth a third of a second and an eight hit factor, it's worth a quarter of a second. That's it. So I, I think people generally can can handle that and you know when you put it in those terms then it's basically just like shooting a time plus match to to some degree you know the the math is a little more black box but i think at the end of the day if you put things in those terms people can deal with it i i will say if this were a uspsa match i don't again we wouldn't really be able to set up a lot of the more prescriptive stages which i think are interesting useful fair stages and I don't know that we would really be able to set up a lot of the classifiers either. Now, there are definitely classifiers where all the rounds are going in, in one direction and you can set them up on an indoor bay, but setting them up on an indoor range alongside another stage is tricky. And I know I'm not the first person to to deal with this, so I'm sure there are probably other ranges that have been doing indoor matches with classifiers and, and they would have some advice for me. So I'm not I'm not trying to be the, the expert on this, but it's definitely something that gives me pause. You know, our, our current format which um, I should have said this earlier, but if you go to barryshooting.com slash stages, uh, that will take you to my Google Drive folder with all the stages I've designed for all these matches for as long as I've been doing stage design. If you click the, the TSA folder and then go into the different months, you can see all the, the stages. You can see how we kind of break things up. And typically I'll end up building the one big stage and then finding a way to fit the smaller stage into it. And so, yes, there are USPSA classifiers that will fit on a uh, you know on an indoor range, but... Is it something where you basically have to set that classifier up and then tear it down or, you know, tear down whatever stage was there, set up the classifier and then shoot it, which is certainly possible. I know there are there are some clubs like uh, Hammer Down Shooters in Atlanta that do it that way, where they set up all their stages. They have three squads that cycle through all three and then they turn over all the stages. And so you actually end up visiting each bay twice and and so in that way, they're able to have more sort of fully different stages. They're not kind of doing what we're doing, where this, both stages are set up simultaneously, which is certainly an interesting idea. I, I like that approach, but it's it's obviously not the one that we've chosen. But you'd basically have to do something like that for even, even the classifiers that can be shot on indoor ranges, which I don't know exactly what the solution is for that. I mean, I do like the idea that when someone shoots a USPSA match, the classifier that they shoot is almost a little miniature postal match where they get to compare their score to the best in the country. There, There is, I think, real value there, and I think we need to spend more effort improving the classifier system to take advantage of that. So I wouldn't just want to run four stages with no classifier, but at the same time, you know, logistically, I'd, I'd have to figure out figure that out. And so, yeah, that, that would be one where I'd probably talk to other match directors and figure out how how they handle it. And then, yeah, at the end of the day, really, the I would say that the main barrier to me in terms of the, the two reasons that I am not eager to affiliate this match with the USPSA 
One is the is the more sort of stringent gear requirements. Yes, okay, you can shoot your you know Sig three sixty five in carry optics, or you know it, it, yes, technically you can find a place for each gun. But I I do like the idea of it's just sort of run what you brung, and and there's not really we're not really worried about trying to put everyone on an even playing field in terms of gear. You just shoot whatever gun is interesting to you, which. I guess technically, now that I say this, yes, we could run a USPSA match where the only recognized division is open. But then at that point, classifiers don't matter. So if we were going to do that, yeah, we definitely wouldn't run a classifier. So, you know, there's a there's something to be solved for there, which maybe the answer is you run a match one week. That's that's the outlaw action pistol match. And then you run the USPSA match the, the other week. You know, you run two matches a month or something like that. And people can pick and choose which one they want to shoot now. What I will say is to go back to that experience from from the wake match a few years ago, we would run the same stages twice a month. We would actually do it was a Monday and then the Wednesday, the week after we would we would run the same stages twice and we would have some people sign up to shoot them both. And so we were we were filling 60, 65 slots twice a month because for some folks, if it's a weeknight, it's not a night they're going to be doing anything else. They'll go shoot one or maybe both. And so. I'm sure if we ran a, a match every Monday night, which we probably could, there probably would be a few people that would shoot two, three, maybe four times a month just because, hey, it's Monday night. It's, you know, the chance to go out and hang with with my shooting friends. So, you know, there, there definitely is. Um, it, it's not like the two would not overlap in that way. Um, but, you know, I, I I still like the sort of non-denominational approach of, of this match. The fact that we, you know, it's it's not an IDPA match. It's not a USPSA match. It's a shoot whatever you want match, and that definitely brings out a different crowd. And then you know, at the end of the day, it, it really I think the thing is having this match as an opportunity to try new ideas for stage design in a way that I I always want stages to be fair. I don't want I don't ever want someone to just get screwed over and just have a, you know some kind of random draw where they get the hardest possible combination of, uh, you know, bad luck and they have to shoot the hard target from furthest away or, you know, something like that. I, I want these stages to be fair, but there is a, there's a whole world out there of ways that you can have fair challenges that don't fit into the current USPSA stage design rules, which, like I said, I think, I think there's a huge opportunity there to improve that and to allow things that can be fairly administered, like you have to shoot one-handed from this special sub shooting area or through this port or after this mandatory reload, stuff like that. And um, I'd like to see more of that, more of that. And, you know, for the time being, I think running this match the way that it is it, affiliating with USPSA wouldn't get us more shooters because we're already at capacity. It, we would have to pay USPSA money. And so it's really a lose lose to affiliate at this point. But again, I could imagine a scenario where if this were being run every Monday and we, you know, needed help getting more ROs to help run the match and set everything up, then affiliating it to to help not just bring in shooters, but also people who know the rule set and can come help officiate. Because that's that's almost always the bottleneck with an outlaw match like this is people shoot it and they kind of learn the rules through osmosis, but it, they're, it, they're never exactly sure, oh, how do we do this? We have a little one-page rule sheet, rule book thing, um, but I don't know that anybody actually sits down and reads it. Um, and so a lot of it is just, oh, go ask Ben, which works for a two squad match, but obviously is not sustainable to a, you know, a national organization or even to running this match more often than I want to be at the range, which as much as I like the match, I don't know that I would want to be there every Monday 
in addition to podcasting every Thursday and all the other things that, that I have to do for my job and my life. So this has, uh, this has turned into a much longer episode than I was expecting, so I think I'll end up cutting it into two pieces. So I think what you are hearing will be the end of part two. Hopefully this was interesting. Thanks for listening. That wraps up this episode of Short Course. My email is bennettberryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.